0: Today, on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight.
1: But the concept of pre COPD really, uh, in, in addition to physiology, it includes also symptoms and also possibly radiologic changes.
0: Today, Drs. Robbie Callan and Nick Hanania joined the podcast to discuss early detection of COPD in this first of a two part discussion in this PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Boehringer Engelheim has 100 years of heritage in respiratory disease. Since 1921, they have emerged as a leader in this disease area, having launched several treatments in a range of respiratory conditions including asthma, COPD, IPF, and lung cancer. Their focus is on improving the quality of life of patients suffering from debilitating respiratory diseases and enabling them to maintain a more independent life. Learn more at BoehringerEngelheim.com the content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not represent the views of Boehringer or Ingelheim or its affiliates. Hello, I'm Dr.
2: Ruby Calhan. I'm a professor of medicine and preventive medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago.
1: And I'm Nick Hanania, a director of the Airways Clinical Research Center and professor of medicine at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, where I'm also chief of pulmonary critical care Escape medicine section at Bentall Hospital in Houston.
2: Hi, Nick, great to see you.
1: Glad to be here, Ravi, thank you for having me.
2: Well, Nick, today I wanna to talk with you about early detection and the overall concept of early COPD and get your insights into this emerging thought process around the chronic disease that is COPD.
1: Well, thanks, Ravi, for the question. It's actually a very timely one because, as you know, your work and others have shown that uh, we have missed the boat when we just rely on diagnosis of COPD when they have severe disease and when they they are coming in the hospital in exacerbation. This is like almost that two-thirds of their life story with COPD has passed. So there's really has been some data to show that early life stories can affect lung function over time. And indeed, uh, even though we have concentrated on symptoms and lung function to define the disease, there is some emphasis now to say, well, why can't we diagnose the disease early? Especially if on the horizon we may have disease-modifying drugs. We don't have them yet, but there are several things being looked at, including biologics. If we have disease-modifying drugs, should we really wait until these patients uh, have two thirds or FEV1 gone down before we start them on treatment? So I think it's, the concept is very important. We always have concentrated on the late uh, part of the disease, but now there's a big push that maybe if we start early, even maybe before uh, these patients develop airway obstruction, maybe they are symptomatic. Um, if we can identify risk factors, to define that population, and we can introduce intervention, then maybe we can prevent that decline in lung function and worsening of the disease uh, towards the end. So that's the whole concept of early or what we call pre-COPD in, in some publications.
2: Nick, it's a hard one for people to wrap their head around because, as you said, we've always thought of COPD as starting the day someone develops airflow obstruction on their spirometry, as if to say yesterday there was nothing wrong with them. But can you perhaps help the folks listening to us differentiate between what we're calling early or pre-COPD as opposed to mild COPD? Because as we change the paradigm here, I think people struggle with, with internalizing these differences.
1: Uh, Yes, I mean, mild disease refers, like mild, moderate, severe, and very severe, refers to really strictly lung function, FEV1 particularly. But the concept of pre-COPD really, uh, in in addition to physiology, it includes also symptoms and also possibly radiologic changes. This is another area of interest uh, to all of us, but also of research interest, but probably of clinical interest, is that maybe we can detect early COPD, not just waiting for lung function, FEV1, maybe we can look at other indices of lung function, diffusion being one, maybe lung volumes, hyperinflation, but also looking at symptoms. There's been several studies now showing, and including those from our COPD gene study, showing that symptomatic patients who are smokers, who don't have airway obstruction, have poorer outcome than those non-smokers or smokers without symptoms. So symptoms is another group of things that one has to look at. And finally, last but not the least, radiologic changes. You know, airway thickening or early emphysema. Many patients with COPD early on may not have airway obstruction but have significant emphysema on CT scan. So there's some discussion now to at least uh, have the concept of this early COPD including these three buckets. And of course, there's quite a bit of overlap. Now the big question, what can you do when you detect these? We know that early in life, lung function growth, and you have shown it in your your papers, early in life lung function growth may affect uh, how the patient's lung function is 30 years down the road. And so lung growth is an important uh, risk factor for COPD. Another thing that people have sort of shied away now from is smoking. Yes, smoking is very important, but it's only one type of COPD, and that's type 4, In fact, in the latest reiteration in COPD, a gold uh, strategy, they very nicely outlined that there are at least four or five types of COPD out there. There's a COPD related to genetics. There is a COPD related to smoking. There's COPD related to environmental exposures other than smoking. There's COPD related to infection because several studies have shown that uh, infections, for example, in uh, other countries, third world countries, tuberculosis may be a very important predisposing factor for COPD. And then, then of course, uh, there is a COPD related to early life, uh, uh, lung growth and early life uh, uh, trajectories. So our concept of COPD has changed has shifted away from just looking at the smokers with COPD towards looking at a larger group And to early diagnosis, uh, not to wait until these patients end up in the hospital with exacerbation.
2: And of course, you know, the naysayers will say, well, Hanania, now I have a long list of people who might have pre-COPD because they have a little bit of emphysema on their CT scan, or they have airway thickening on their CT scan, or they have frequent symptoms, or they get bronchitis a lot. The hell am I supposed to do, man? This is terrible. I have no proven therapies to offer these individuals other than telling them to stop smoking cigarettes. And of course, as you know, I would argue, well, if we don't actually define and characterize these folks, we have no opportunity to identify targets for interception. So the first step in this really is defining the at-risk population so we can evaluate on a biologic level what the deviations from normal are and we can actually create targets for interception. It seems to me the useful analogy is no one knew cholesterol was a predictor for heart attacks until they knew cholesterol was a predictor for heart attacks. So we have to go through that process in the respiratory community to really think about the life course evolution of the disease, not just the clinical manifestation when someone has established pathology.
1: No, I agree. I think this nihilistic attitude towards COPD—what can we do for them—should change because, uh, like you said, biologically there are biological mechanisms in these patients with pre-COPD which we can actually. We maybe right now maybe we don't have options for interventions, but we unless we identify these, we cannot really find solution and interventions. And I think this is the this is the exciting part of this uh, horrible disease is that. If we can catch it early, maybe there are certain interventions that can be implemented uh, other than smoking cessation, which tends to be the most important, but certainly other intervention, maybe pharmacologically or non-pharmacologically. I I couldn't agree with you uh, more uh, on this uh, uh, statement.
2: And in addition to smoking cessation, sometimes it informs policy questions, right? I mean, recently, we've, there's been lots of talk about indoor air pollution and gas stoves and the things they may emit or even issues around outdoor air pollution and control of um, of air quality sort of indoor and outdoor on a, on a domestic in the U.S. level as well as a global level. Those things are all informed by the broader view on the public health question,
0: not just the narrow view of how do I treat someone tomorrow. That concludes part one of today's special Spotlight Conversation. Thank you for joining us. Please join us for part two of this conversation next time. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. Thoughts, comments, or suggestions, please leave us a review on your preferred listening platform or email us at editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa flash briefing medical news roundup and just ask, what's my flash briefing? Thanks today to our guests. Dr. Robbie Callen, and Dr. Nick Hanania, and thanks to Sean Mullen, Kate Rio, and Norm Dion for production assistance. Join me next time for the episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.